0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, I speak with documentary filmmaker Sue Williams. That's coming up on Endeavors. You're listening to Endeavors Radio with your host from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Dan McPeak. In the era of Black Lives Matter and civil rights protests there are many other social justice movements that haven't gotten the visibility they deserve. Such is the case with the Hong Kong protests. After creating the Umbrella Revolution in 2014, the call for change was renewed in 2019 after the introduction of and staunch opposition to the Fugitive Offenders Amendment Bill which would have allowed extradition to jurisdictions with which Hong Kong did not have agreements with, including Taiwan and mainland China. One public figure at the center of the protests is canto-pop sensation Denise Ho. Born in Hong Kong, she moved to Montreal at age 11 before returning home to pursue a music career and was in Hong Kong for the handover between Britain and China. In recent years, she has become one of Hong Kong's most vocal pro-democracy activists. In this right, she is the subject of a new documentary, Denise Ho, Becoming the Song, from director Sue Williams. Sue has made several past documentaries about China, including China and Revolution, The Mao Years, China, Born Under the Red Flag, and China, A Century of Revolution. In 2016, she wrote, produced, and directed the documentary Death by Design, which examined smartphone, tablet, and electronic consumerism in the modern age. In addition, she has also worked on the history series American Experience and the investigative series Frontlines. I recorded this interview with Sue last week. The day after we taped this interview, the Canadian government announced they were suspending their extradition treaty with Hong Kong with the foreign foreign minister calling it a significant step back for liberty. Spokesperson for the Prime Minister's office referred to a Friday statement by the foreign minister that reiterated Canada's serious concern with the law this is my conversation with director sue williams really good actually um we just entered phase three uh last week so uh we have a really good public health official who seems to have connected with the people on some level, so that always helps. Um yeah, it's good. I'm in Victoria, which is actually <laughs> probably the safest place to be in the country right now. Um I think in the last month we've only had like maybe five deaths, maybe like wow. Uh like a hundred cases. Yeah, like we're we're doing we're doing really well here in at least my part of BC. But BC as a whole is doing well. So Where where are you? Are you New York? Well,
1: I live in New York City. So I the epicenter.
0: <laughs>
1: but we were all good. We stayed home and we got the numbers down.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And um and now the rest of the country's just taken up the mantle for us. It's yeah, I
0: mean be- pretty
1: frustrating actually.
0: Yeah. I mean Yeah.
1: Like for a month I didn't step outside of our building. Oh really? Yeah, it wow. was like really intense in in March and April. I'm um, actually up at the moment. Um, we took a place for the summer outside of the city. Okay. So I hope that um, there's some people way over there that are like doing some construction work. So I hope it's quiet enough for you.
0: Oh yeah, no, it's it's good. It's uh it's been interesting. Yeah, like. A lot of pubs in this city are at, you know, like 75% capacity wow. for us. Like, you can go, I can go to a hair salon. Malls are open again. Um, but it, it seems like it, at least Cuomo, for you, has done a pretty good job, I think.
1: Yeah, Cuomo's, Cuomo's been great. I mean, for all of us who didn't particularly like him before, he's been great.
0: <laughs> yeah. he
1: got somebody around, is, <laughs> believes in science, you know, that, that's a good start in a pandemic.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Yep. It's
1: a, it's just a miserable, pathetic, disgusting shambles in this country at the moment. It's just.
0: I know. Well, and it it's weird because, at least you know, Vancouver has one of the the busiest U.S. Can, uh, Canada crossings. Yeah. And you can't like there was this woman who was trying to get to, like she was in Abbotsford and she was trying to get to her sick baby or sick grandkid. I think in. Like somewhere near Seattle, I think it was, uh-huh. um, and they. But the borders were closed, so they wouldn't let her drive. But the Asian was like, you know, you can just fly. So, she, <gasps> so she flew. It's it's, it's bizarre. It's just yeah. bizarre, you know. Um, it's it's
1: nuts. I you know,
0: <laughs>
1: if if we make it to the end of the year in this country, that'll be a miracle.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, do. you... how do do you, let me ask you this, you know, because your movie is about this in a way, democracy. How do you think this pandemic is going to influence the election in November?
1: This is going to be in the podcast?
0: (laughs) I can, I can, I can stop recording.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, I was going to offer because I've recorded some podcasts and I was going to make sure that the audio settings are the best possible. But if you're happy with them, that's good. Um, well, the pandemic has just, as if it wasn't already 100,000% clear, has made clear what a completely inept president we have. And I, I'm just trying to be polite because yeah. if it wasn't being recorded, my language would not be fit for the public to hear. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he's inept, he's corrupt, he's, It's you know... He's yeah. an absolutely out of control, ignorant narcissist. What can I say? I, I don't know. I think it's made, but actually I want to be hopeful and, and actually maybe segue into the film because, um, yeah, I, was, I, you know, I, I go into the city frequently and I was there earlier in the week and um, I went to visit the protests at City Hall demanding a, decreased police funding. And then as I was walking home, I passed two Black Lives Matter. know, um, yeah, they're like mini marches. They're about a block yeah. long and they're so organized and everyone's wearing a mask and they're so respectful. And that really gives me hope because these, these young people have been out there day after day after day after day. And they're walking five, 10, 15 miles every day in the heat. I mean, my hats are off to them. Hundred percent, and I think, you know, I could segue to Hong Kong there and say the same thing about the mostly the young people who are brave, and but it's not just the it's old people, it's children, you know, who are out in the street demanding their rights, you know, or w- what they thought were their rights until China has just said no.
0: But, well, you know, um, you know, on that note, because a, a lot of your, your film, which is uh Denise Ho, or Denise Ho becoming the song. Um, you know the the second half of the film talks about her role in, um, you know, the umbrella movement and, and the Hong Kong protests. Do you see a a a relationship, a similarity between what we're seeing in Hong Kong over the last three or four years, with not only the Black Lives Matter movements in in, in North America and across the world, but also you know the Occupy movements uh, from from years past. What 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 sort of relationship do you see between all these?
1: You know, it's been. Um... <clears throat> Interesting these last few weeks to see people using the same expression, be water, which is the expression that the Hong Kongers were using last summer, you know, be like water, the Bruce Lee thing, flexible, mobile, um, incredibly adaptive. And I thought it was, I mean, it just really resonated with me when I heard that phrase being used in New York, certainly. Um, here we're, we, In the U.S., we're protesting systemic racism that's so embodied in in the history and the infrastructure and the dailyness of everyone's lives that that is sort of quite specific to here. Police brutality is obviously a common theme, but in in Hong Kong, they're really facing a you know the most authoritarian and actually quite terrifying. Terrifying, one of the most terrifying dictatorships in the history of the world um, under Xi Jinping. So it's, you know, it's such a precise struggle. How do they maintain their identity and their freedoms um, in the face of the communist party who only wants one thing and that is obedience to the communist party. And so we could get to that point in America where i mean trump certainly has authoritarian tendencies and would love to be like xi jinping or putin except he's not quite smart enough but um so we may we're we're certainly moving down a path where the president is trying to seize all sorts of executive powers that haven't normally been uh readily used by presidents so um We're not quite facing Xi Jinping yet, but...
0: What do you say to, not necessarily critics of the movement, but those who say that violence and rioting maybe isn't the best method to get the message across?
1: So there are a number of things to that. I mean, one thing is it's a leaderless movement. After 2014, the students realized you can't just plonk yourself on a road and sit there for two months and have leaders who represent you. Um, So last year was different. They were leaderless. um, And that creates a problem because there's no one for the government to talk to. But the government the Communist Party will never negotiate. They didn't negotiate in 1989. They will not, they never negotiated with the Uyghurs before they started putting them in camps. They won't negotiate. I mean, that's, and I think what was incredibly frustrating was, you know, 1 million people marched peacefully, 2 million people marched peacefully. In many countries in the world, somebody would have got it together and said, look, let, let's sit down and talk about this, right? Let's, let's see what we can do. But it, the, the Hong Kongers just met a brick wall. How frustrating is that when 20, 20% of your population comes out, 25% of your population comes out and asks to be heard and is just told, no. And so then I think as frustrations mounted you can't control a million people or even 500,000 or hundreds of thousands, you know, a few people got really angry and smashed things. And then of course the police reacted more strongly and then they reacted more. And so it becomes like a vicious cycle. And if no one will talk to each other, what hope is there for any sort of peaceful, rational resolution, um, Carrie Lam is tone deaf and she's the stool pigeon of of Beijing. So she didn't have any authority probably to even do that. But no, and I don't think anybody ever wanted it to get violent. Just as I think most people don't want Hong Kong independence. I think they would just like to keep the rights that were promised them. Freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, a sort of open education system. That's not just spewing out, what the Communist Party wants kids to learn. Um, It's hard to give up your freedom. You know, if if someone said to you, sorry, tomorrow, no more freedom of the press, no more freedom of speech, and no more freedom of assembly, you'd
0: be upset. I mean, you, you mentioned that it's not necessarily full independence that they want, you know, How do you compare it to to the other sort of movements? You know, we see like Tibet, Taiwan, for example. Do you think Hong Kongers want to go back to being British subjects, or is it just greater autonomy within the concept of being Chinese?
1: I think it's to keep the autonomy they were promised, which is as I what I just said about the different freedoms, but also rule of law and independent judiciary. Um, They don't want to be arrested for things and then, you know, sent to China for trial in some invisible penal system. Um, But they are very... I mean, Hong Kong culture is this extraordinary kind of hybrid. It's deeply Chinese, and every Hong Konger would say that. They're proud of their Chinese culture and literature and opera and and customs and traditions and beliefs. But they have had, um, you know many decades of British rule, so they are accustomed to, not that the British were great, and they certainly don't want to return to being a British colony, but some of those values that they um, saw, particularly the judiciary, I think is something they would like to keep, and they feel rightly that they were promised in an internationally recognized treaty in 1997. I mean, everything changed yesterday, right? Right,
0: yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, as as much as this is a film about you know what's happening in Hong Kong, it's also very much a film about Denise Ho, the Cantopop singer and activist. How do you go about telling a biography of someone?
1: It was interesting actually because I'd never um, done a biography of a living person.
0: <clears throat> you know my
1: earlier films for PBS, for American Experience. I did Eleanor Roosevelt and Mary Pickford. So I'm used to doing dead people. And um, I actually talked about it with her and said, you know, are there any guidelines, boundaries? You know, I mean, it, I'm going to tell your life, but you're alive. And and I had editorial control. So it was it was kind of a leap of faith on her part. But, you know, I never really wanted to do a hatchet job on. I, I, I like her, I respect her. Um, I think it's, it's a, I certainly felt sympathetic to her. And um, so it was interesting because there were times when clearly she got fed up with me filming. Like when i follow her around for three days in a row, she would just, you know, in the end just, can't you stop filming? But, um, and I think that's normal. But she always came through for us at key moments you know when i knew we had to film this or we had to film that she was she always came through so
0: what was it about her originally that made you want to tell her story
1: (laughs) um so a mutual friend introduced us and i'd never heard of her and um and i was introduced to her as this like famous canto pop star and actually she's very sort of unassuming when you meet her just like that and you're talking to her and chatting. Um, and I actually couldn't imagine her as a, like a singer who would go out on stage and hold an audience in the palm of her hand. Um, and I also didn't know anything about canto pop and I don't speak Cantonese. So it was like a pretty big leap. But when I saw her do some covers of, of some English songs, like Somebody to Love, and stuff um, you know, I could, I could see, yeah, she's really got something. And then it was when I first um, saw her perform in London that I realized that something happens. you know, how stars, when they, something happens when they go on stage, and they, it's like the light switch goes on, and they're just somebody else, and they've got magnetism and this energy, and she just she was great. Um, so at the beginning, I thought I was making a film about an artist. And I was going to, it was in 2017, so it was, you know, she couldn't perform anymore in big venues in, in Hong Kong, so she was going to try and do a little world tour and write some more music. And so I thought I was making a film about how do you, how can you have a career as an artist if you're blacklisted by China? And it's really hard. And... That was what intrigued me. I thought I was making that film. And then the protests broke out. We were pretty much at rough cut last June. And the protests broke out and I realized, okay, well this is, this is a different film now. And so we kept filming, you know, June, July, August, September, and we were going way over budget. And I saying like, we have to stop, but no. So eventually we stopped filming um, after she came to New York and did the concert, which opens the film. Um, so it it was a film that really changed in the making um
0: Can, canto pop definitely has a following among you know both people in hong kong and immigrants all over the world yeah but but one you know we're and we're seeing k pop just explode everywhere not only among <laughs> korean expats but even you know, white people and, and English-speaking people. Do you think Canto Pop will follow suit? Do you think we're, we're gonna see that in the next five years? Canto Pop sort of have, have that same impact, influence that K-pop does?
1: You know, as you were speaking, it just occurred to me that um, Beijing is trying to make Mandarin the language in Hong Kong. They're... they're um, so I don't know culturally what will happen with, I'm just talking about the language. Um, Cantonese, as I've learned, is um, it's almost not a written language. You know, there are expressions which apparently you can't really write down. And I think the imagery and the poetry of the language are, are really hard to put into another language. I have no idea what's gonna happen. Um, you hear in Hong, when you go to Hong Kong, you hear more and more Mandarin. Um, so I, I, I I can't answer that. Uh,
0: you know, this film is about politics and, um, you know, and political activism in a lot of way, but when, when you're telling the story of someone, how, how do you balance that, the, the, the politics of everything, because it it can be dangerous, especially for a documentary film to get overly political.
1: Yeah, it was really hard. it was really hard to find that balance between the personal narrative and the bigger political narrative. Um, you know, films are made in the edit room, right? I mean, that film has been in so many different orders, like scene by scene, different orders and structures. Um, but in the end I wanted to come back to her right. because it's, it is her story. And, um, so that's that's what we tried to do with with the ending of the the last 10 minutes of the film.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that because in the end the film is sort of, you know, lar- largely in sequence in terms of like, you know, the trajectory of a life interspersed <laughs> with history of of Hong Kong and and all that. Why did you ultimately find that that was the best way to to tell it, you know, sort of uh, r- real time rather than jump back and forth.
1: It wasn't totally real time, actually. We did we did mess around a little bit with the chronology. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, that the scene in Montreal where she can't sing the song, Montreal. You know, that actually happened way later in the film, but it's just such a great moment of showing her attachment to Montreal and Canada. Um, so it is, I, I, I guess maybe it feels to an outsider is quite linear, but actually, we did take some,
0: <laughs> <laughs> some some liberties. <laughs> yeah, we did take some liberties. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You mentioned Montreal because before seeing this, I didn't really know that that Denise had this very strong connection to Canada. You know, and 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 she lived here as a teen. What impact do you think that had on not only her, her career as an artist, but you know per, perhaps her political identity as well, coming not, on, not only to another country as a teen, but specifically Canada?
1: Oh, I think she would say it it was hugely important. Um, it's where she saw firsthand what a, a a democratic society looks like and feels like and what you can do and... And that you speak your opinion and you speak truth to power and you do it without fear. I mean, she, it's huge. Um, and she would, she's very, very, well, as you can see, she's very attached to Canada. She goes back pretty much once a year to see friends in Montreal and she goes camping with them and does the whole Canadian summer thing, you know, on a lake. And, um, so she's, she feels very strongly, part of her is very rooted in Canada.
0: You you make there's a you make I think a, a very nice decision to translate all her song lyrics when 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 she's seen on camera singing. What what went into that decision? What do you think that added to the 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 telling and and the understanding of what of what Denise is going through? Well, I
1: think her lyrics. You know, as she said, she had sort of this persona from early on of <clears throat> being kind of a. You know, an outspoken—I don't want to say revolutionary—but someone who was very aware of society and being an outsider, but knowing she wasn't alone. um, So the lyrics were very important, and um, (laughs) that's—it was really hard to translate them. I mean, at first we had other people translate them, and then she didn't like those translations, and then she said she would do some of them, but. She didn't and in the end it kind of fell to me and, and um, a couple of, well, our associate editor, Steph Ching, who did an amazing job and speaks good enough Cantonese and one other person and we spent days working on the translations and I wanted them to be on the screen. The decision to have them move around the screen was so that the viewer didn't always have to look down to see the words so that they could just keep looking at her face and, um, <clears throat> and just
0: see the lyrics at the same time. And and stylistically they're 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 different from normal subtitles, like not only just the fact that they're moving around, but they're they're not in a standard font. They're they're in italics, um, or you know, like a, a
1: script.
0: A, a cursive script, yes. Yeah. Um what went into that choice? Was it just sort of that that it seemed sort of maybe a little more in line with, with Denise artistically in terms of that that kind of look and aesthetic?
1: Yeah. Um <clears throat> that was important to me. Um You know, I don't mind having, you know, typical text at the bottom of the screen if it's a translation of a conversation. But I think, um, as I said, I I really didn't want the viewer to have to keep looking up and down. I wanted them to be able to look at her, feel the words, feel the expression on her face. The cursive script was what you often see on album covers or, you know, it, it just felt a little more intimate, a little less formal, Um, so uh, we wanted that sort of cursive, cursive look but that had to be incredibly legible for people who don't read cursive anymore.
0: Um, One big influence that Denise talks about is is Anita Hui, the late Anita Hui in how she was her mentor. Do you think what Anita was to Denise, Denise is now to the sort of the the next generation of of canto pop singers?
1: Yeah. Can I just correct you? It's Anita Mui, not Kui. Oh, Mui,
0: sorry. Mui. Yeah.
1: Just in case you want to use that line. Um, um, Absolutely. I think there is a sort of tradition of mentorship in in, um, Chinese culture, maybe more than overtly than here. So as she was Denise's disciple slash protege, she's really nurtured Kiri T, who appears in the film, and the whole crew around her. Um, You know, she's like 10 years older than most of them, even 15. Um, And she really does believe in trying to nurture Hong Kong talent. And so her recording studio, where you see her recording Polar and We shot a lot of interviews there, um, was really a gathering place for young musicians where they could come and hang out and jam together and um, work on songwriting and music production. So absolutely, she sees, I think she loves doing it, and I think she sees it as a way of really making Hong Kong culture stronger or nourishing Hong Kong culture.
0: You know, I think in the last probably 10 years since the protests, since she came out, uh, her lyrics and her songs have become more overtly political. This idea of, you know, music as as a political tool or, or, or art as a political weapon, um, is is art always gonna be inherently political, do you think? Well, I,
1: no, I don't think so. I mean, in her case, um, "Polar," the last song, you know, the song that we see her write and that she performs at the end, uh, is also spiritual. I mean, she is a Buddhist, um, or she practices Buddhist meditation, and and she reads a lot about it, and she meditates every day. Um, so I think her hope in humanity and the future, and the whole, the, all the imagery of "Polar" of The sun coming up again after the dark polar night um, is also spiritual as well as political. And that may be what sustains her in difficult times. Um, Is all art political? Well, it's a big question, isn't it?
0: You know, she's an activist, and we see countless artists supporting various causes or, you know, various political movements, but do. Do celebrities and people in the public eye have an obligation to 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 be this other person for people or or can they can they just be uh,
1: i we, you know you don't live in an island or in a vacuum, so I think at certain points yeah artists should speak out and and create art that is informed by politics certainly um And at a time like this, I would hope lots of artists would come out, maybe not even in their art, but at least to be vocal about terrible political situations in lots of places. Of course, I mean, you're connected to the world. How can you, how can you avoid the world when you make your work?
0: You, you mentioned that earlier on, you know, you were in 2018, you, you had a rough cut and then you just kept filming and filming when, when the uh, 2019 Twenty nineteen and then you kept filming when, when the protests were happening, um, how different is the finished product of your film versus what you thought you were going to make when you started in 2017?
1: It's a very different film, obviously I, I you know we could not have foreseen um the extent of the protests last year. i mean nobody saw that coming um and that's i guess where you know if if you're a filmmaker and you're you've got to be flexible um and be able to respond to to what's going on i mean there's no way that we could have ignored that and and i, I think it's you know, it's a much more urgent film. It's really, I have such mixed feelings about the fact that it came out yesterday and uh, we got, you know, all this great press yesterday, Um, but it was kind of heartbreaking at the same time um, because yesterday was kind of the death of Hong Kong. And so I think we made a very strong film, I had an amazing team working with me. Um, So, the the editor, the DP, the associate—I mean, all those people just are so important. We have a we have a strong film, and I, but I'm sort of sad for the reasons that it's so strong. (laughs) I mean, does that sound silly? It's just Uh,
0: uh, yeah. No, it makes sense. You know, we actually—it's funny because yesterday was Canada Day here, right? Which is our, our national holiday. And there was a big discussion even in my family about is it wise to still celebrate it in light of everything that's happened, you know, because we do have a Black Lives Matter movement here, but for much longer, the question has been or the conversation has been about um, our history of Indigenous genocide, you know, Mm -hmm. so and with With everything that's going on is is it acceptable to have sort of this display of at least subtle patriotism i I don't think it's as grandiose as it is in you know maybe maybe the south southern states I mean that you know um yeah. but it does still happen, and so i I, I completely um understand where you're coming from yeah. um, a, another aspect of the film you know we we do see footage of of denise coming out um at a pride in in Hong Kong but it strikes me that that aspect of her you know her her personal life and her her coming out wasn't uh, a a huge part of of the overall story um what w- was that always the intent because i at, at the same time i feel like she she in the film could give a voice to to lgbtq movements not only in china and hong kong but but in all of asia um w- was it meant to be a a bigger aspect of the film, and then it changed because of the protests? Or how, can you talk about that a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, some people have said that um, you know they would have liked to see, <clears throat> excuse me, more about her personal life, and that was one of the subjects. Which I mean, she refers to it in the film. You know, everyone knew she was gay before she came out but she just didn't think her private life um, should be open for all to see. And, and of course I know who her partner is and, you know, I know her and, um, but they made it really clear. They didn't want me to include her. And I respect that. I mean, I respect that because certainly for safety reasons now, but also, you know, a lot of artists, I don't know. think about Adele, you know, she doesn't, go on and on about who she's living with or her love. I mean, she sings about it, but she doesn't put it out there or Sam Smith, who's, and I'm just trying to think of another gay artist, contemporary artist. So it's just kind of a fact of her life. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not, Now that she's come out, she's got nothing more to hide. And actually she was really interesting. And Anthony Wong, who's also in the film and also a very big uh, canto pop star in Hong Kong, for those who don't know him. Um, And he was, you know, her close male friend who encouraged her to come out when she was thinking about it. They both felt free after they came out and it was like, okay, I don't need to deal with this anymore, you know? And it gave them courage in 2014, because they had nothing to lose. They'd already taken the big step of coming out and it didn't hurt their careers. That was always kind of an odd thing to me, was you look at her singing Lewis and Lawrence in the film, the Hong Kong Coliseum, thousands, tens of thousands of people, and the whole crowd is singing along about Lewis and Lawrence falling in love with each other. I can't think of another performer anywhere who was singing, such overtly gay songs and the entire audience is singing along i don't think everybody in the audience was gay who cares if they are or not but i just it just struck me i'd often thought when i look at that like where would you see any western singer singing such an overtly gay song and getting such an amazing response so i think it just became part of her life it um as she said you know, I think she probably one day would have liked to have had a family, but realizes that it's best not to because then, you know, the communist authorities will be able to manipulate her because of those attachments. So in a sad way, it, it, in good ways and sad ways, it became very freeing to come out and it was almost like there was nothing more to say about it.
0: You know, on that note, there, there's definitely an obsession, at least in Western media and Western culture, with celebrities or, or, you know, people in the public eye's personal lives. Why do you think that is? Why, why are we so obsessed with, you know, who's sleeping with who or, you know, who like, oh, you know, your, the, their child's latest name?
1: people need to get a life. I don't know why they're so obsessed with this. Um, <clears throat> you know, they, they attract something, they capture something in your imagination and you just want to live with it. I mean, interestingly enough, in Hong Kong, um, most celebrities are incredibly private about their, public, uh, their private lives because they're record labels won't allow them to talk. They want everybody to be like this virgin piece of paper where you can project whatever fantasy you have onto them. And so they aren't allowed to talk about their private lives. Of course, the paparazzi run after it and dig stuff out, but they're not allowed to like openly talk about, oh, I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, So... Actually, she wasn't that unique in, in Hong Kong. She just didn't want to talk about it. Other
0: people are told not to talk about it. Thailand um, legalized gay marriage a couple of years ago. <laughs> what do you think the, the status of LGBTQ rights is like not only in China, but, but in other Asian countries in that part of the world? Have you, you know- You mean what- Taiwan? Uh, yeah, it was, it was Taiwan that legalized gay marriage, yes. <laughs>
1: it was Taiwan, yeah.
0: Um, um, well,
1: she loves Taiwan and goes there a lot. And, um, I mean, she's very active. You know, she has the Big Love Gay Alliance with Antony. I mean, they do campaign for gay rights, I think, uh, less now, because there are perhaps, as she would say, bigger issues, bigger threats. But, um It's, you know, it's a a conservative part of the world. Um, When we were filming her, she, uh, and following her on tour, she'd really wanted to perform in Malaysia where she had performed a number of years ago and she was denied permission to go. Um, They said, because she is gay. Um, And so that was the pretext. I think we were a bit suspicious. I mean, yeah, she's gay and maybe Malaysia doesn't like homosexuality, but, it was also a lose-lose situation. Why would you have Denise go there when she's also been blacklisted by China? So they're, So, um, I, I do think that certainly um, Taiwan is a beacon in Asia for
0: gay rights, absolutely. Uh, Denise has been banned from performing in China or I think even entering China. Can she enter mainland China or can she just not perform in mainland China?
1: Uh. I, I don't think she'd like to find out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and other, you know, other people that have made films about China, like I think both Doon and Seven Years in Tibet, like Martin Sc- uh, Scorsese, Brad Pitt, David Thewlis all got banned from entering China based on the films. I'm curious, have you heard from China at all?
1: <laughs> I haven't been allowed into China for several years now. Um, my previous film, Death by Design, um, I've, I think finished finished or ended my ability to go into China any longer. I, I, I couldn't get a visa when I was invited there a few years ago. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've made a lot of films in China and it was always very difficult to work there. And But, you know, I had friends, I had you know, connections because I've been working there a long time and I think they thought I was basically quite fair, but I, pretty much things things got a lot more difficult after Xi Jinping came to power and really cracked down in so many areas of, of civic life in China. And so I, I have had some intimidating messages and been followed in the street, um, in New York. Um, I think someone just telling me they're watching.
0: (laughs) Um, We, you know, we know why Denise originally went back to Hong Kong in in the mid-90s. You know, she went to to do recording. Why do you think she continues to stay?
1: You know, I think her life is there now. Um, You know, she sings in Cantonese, her whole musical world is there. and she's been there since 97, so 20, over 20 years. And she loves Hong Kong. I mean, I think she she just loves the people and loves the place and wants to do what she can to help in any way she can. Um, and yeah, she's extraordinarily brave.
0: There's a clip of her being interviewed where she says, uh, humanity always wins um i i definitely think that goes back to her her sort of her buddhist philosophy that you talked about earlier is humanity winning right now will we win
1: it's pretty dark times um it's we have so many i mean hong kong aside we have so many problems like climate change it would be my number one and uh but you know, young people um, have hope and they have lives to live. And they're, um, as I was saying at the beginning, going into the city and seeing the Black Lives Matter protests, really do give me hope. Um, so the world's a pretty dark, messy place right now, but if we can win the next election uh, and start grappling with some issues instead of Sidetracking all the time. I, I, I think we can. I think we can make it. <laughs> Not We're, said with too much conviction. <laughs> but I think we can make it.
0: <laughs> We're, you know, in in the film with the umbrella movement, they talked about seeing this this new generation, this younger generation of activism, within Hong Kong, but also all over the world. Do you think we we will be able to see that in in some form of government? Um, within 20 years, whether it's either in the States or in China, and do you think, you know, having sort of a, maybe a a younger minded government in China could help ease tensions at all?
1: I think the thing to remember about China is the Communist Party has so integrated itself into the identity of the nation. I mean, you can't really separate the Chinese Communist Party from the country and people of China now, and they will never leave power voluntarily, ever. There's no negotiation. They are embedded, and their only concern is to stay in power. So when you know that's the case, it's pretty dark. I, I think that the children of Xi Jinping, who are uh, that top tier of elite they're almost all being educated in the west i guess because they don't think their education system is good enough in china i don't know why but i don't think they'll be any different because you know they're all multi-millionaire multi gazillionaires and um so they're not going to give up power that what happens in america i mean is just if we can You know, this next election, I think, is
0: pretty life and death for this nation, for America. What do you think, what's a misconception that the West has about Hong Kong?
1: You know, I think that maybe the image of Hong Kong is um, sort of this international city where everybody just cares about making money and... being respectable and, and climbing up the ladder. And I think it's a much richer, much more interesting place than that. And, um, you know, great food for, for, for one thing, but you know, it's a very rich, humorous culture. It's, um, and I think what people maybe haven't understood is that's, that in since 1997, when, Britain handed Hong Kong back to China, is this whole new identity has grown. People call themselves Hong Kongers now. And that is this, you know, mix-up of British and Chinese and Asian and global and, and their own specificities. So it's um, it's a much more vibrant, complex place, I think. And this identity, which is now, you know, a good two generations on is um, is what's really fueling the resistance. You know, they they want the best of all worlds, like we all do. And
0: uh... so, how how do you think then somebody like Denise or these other pro democracy act- activists would describe themselves? Because they were born in Hong Kong, technically as British citizens. Mm-hmm you know, and now, now Hong Kong's part of China. So do they, are they, would they describe themselves as Chinese? Would they describe themselves as Hong Kongers? Where, where, where how do you think <clears> their <throat> identity be?
1: I think it's both. I mean, I think younger people would definitely describe themselves as Hong Kongers, not as Chinese. Um, maybe older people would describe themselves as Chinese. But, you know, it's such a small place and it's so interconnected with, you know, Guangdong, which is the part of China it's right next to, and Guangzhou and Shenzhen. And there's so much, you know, families on both sides of the border and business and culture, and people go back and forth all the time. It's very porous. So I don't think really anybody except a handful of people were calling for independence or, you know, are calling, we're calling for independence, I think they just wanted to keep the rights that they had. The one country, two systems. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very mixed culture between. So, I can't even remember what the question was. Actually, it's, 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 it's so porous and so interconnected there. I mean, it's a bit like the border between the States and Canada. People go back and forth all the time. Some people live here, they work there you know, it's, um, very fluid. You can go to, you know, you can go to Hong Kong for the day, do your shopping, go home.
0: What do you think the future of political activism, whether it's revolutionary or not in nature, what's that going to look like? Do you think?
1: In Hong Kong?
0: In Hong Kong, or, you know, maybe even here in the West, where you know, we're, we're seeing all, all, all these, you know, protests and calls for defunding the police. What, what does the, the future of activism look like?
1: In Hong Kong, I think it's, uh, no one can say at the moment. I mean, I think it looks pretty scary. And um, I am sure that the Hong Kongers are, are so ingenuous and imaginative and creative in their forms of protest <clears throat> that there will still be uh, an effort to have their voices heard, but it, it's so soon since this new national security law came out just yesterday. Um, I think it's too early to tell. I think the future, you know, when you look at um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez in New York or just moving to America, um, we've got some really young, smart politicians coming up, and that really is hopeful that really is cause for for some optimism um, we, we need to get rid of all the old white men who are insisting on staying in power until they drop dead um, <clears throat> so i think i think we're seeing this uh, this new resilience and this new ongoing activism and and it's creative too it's not just saying let's get rid of the police it's saying let's look at what the problems are and I was just hearing yesterday or a couple of days ago about how so much of policing in America is, police are called out to deal with mental health crises. You know, people who, be, who should be getting medical care for their mental illness are now being, you know, the police are being called and the police are having to deal with them. Well, that, can you hear that vote?
0: Is that, is that a vote? Is that what it is? <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <clears throat> I have to edit here.
1: Um, you know, so the young people protesting at City Hall are, are being very explicit about budget items that they want taken out of New York City's police budget. You know, why do they need $5 million to upgrade their locker rooms or $15 million for another helicopter? They were really extremely pragmatic and smart about their demands and their requests. So they're informed, they're energized, and it's not wishy-washy, let's all feel good and love each other. It's concrete issues and items. And that actually is very hopeful.
0: You you mentioned old white men and the, this upcoming election for you is going to feature, I think the two oldest, the two oldest candidates ever to run like op- opposite each other. And um, the other democratic nominee Sanders is even older than both of them. Who should, who should Biden pick as his VP to, maybe en- energize the younger generations who might not be as gung-ho about him.
1: I thought this was an, a discussion <laughs> about my film. <laughs> um, Biden's VP pick. Well, you know, there. every time I look at a list, there's another name of another person who I don't know very well. He has got a rich, rich, rich field of women candidates or potential women to pick from. Um, women of color, younger, older, from all regions, with all, from all sorts of backgrounds. I don't know who he'll pick. Um, I hope it's a younger woman of color.
0: Um, uh, finally, the one thing I wanted to ask you about this, you know, the, your film has the subtitle Becoming the Song, um, <laughs> Denise will becoming playing this song. Where, where did that, Sort of headline that 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 subheading can come from
1: Um, So that we open the film and she talks about her first hit a million me a thousand and she talks You know about I'm I realize I'm not the only one who suffered I'm not the only one who's paid the price. There are many more like me and she said That's a song that an idea that's used in revolution that even if I die There'll be millions more like me coming behind and I just thought as I followed her and she became, you know, as she started to speak at the UN and, and in Congress and be really out on the international stage that she was in fact becoming her song. And that was how I came up with the title.
0: What do you want audiences to take away from this film when they see it?
1: Uh, well, get to know Denise, get to know Hong Kong a little bit. Don't forget about Hong Kong now. Um, and uh, appreciate the power of the individual, the courage that individual artists can have to, to speak truth to power and, and still continue. Um, You know, it's a hard path, but hopefully more people will, people will be inspired and see instances when they can make a difference and and do them What God knows we are so lacking in this country, sympathy and empathy and, and a common cause, it it feels like anyway. And um, we all need to try to find our better selves these days.
0: And finally, what does it mean to be an ally? Don't forget,
1: don't forget the people you're supporting. Don't forget your allies. I, I, I have to say, someone was saying to me this morning, what do you think will, where will Hong Kong be in 10 years? And I hope we're not all just sitting around saying, oh, you know, Hong Kong used to be that nice city, you know, and they could do what they wanted and it was so fun to go there. And, and now it's, you know, like Uyghurs and they've, got, they've just crushed dissent and, and individuality and, and everything that makes Hong Kong special. And I hope, hope we don't go there. So be an ally, don't forget.
0: Well, the film is Denise Ho becoming the song. Uh, it is available to stream now. Yes. And it's also in uh, virtual cinemas, I think, with, with Kino.
1: It's in um, virtual cinemas. If you go to Kino Lorber Marquis, um, you know, you can click through the cinemas that are there and buy a ticket there. It's, it's, it will be open to people from Canada, even though I think most of them are in the States, but it, it's cleared for Canadian rights, too.
0: Well, I encourage uh, all the listeners that are list- that may tune into this to, to go check it out. Uh, Sue Williams, thanks so much for your time.
1: Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: All right. You have a good day. Stay safe there in New York.
1: Yeah, you too. All right. Bye.
0: Bye. That was my conversation with director Sue Williams. Her new documentary, Denise Ho, becoming the song, is out now. That does it for me today. I'll have two more shows coming up this week. Wednesday, I'll have an interview with former Degrassi star Paula Brancati about her new film, From the Vine, in which she also produces. And then later in the week, you'll hear from Paula's co star in the film, the great, I'm so excited to have him, Joe Pantaleono, affectionately known as Joey Pants, uh, as well as the director of the International Web Content Creators of Canada and the Tia Webfest. Rodney V. Smith will be here. And then next week, stay tuned for Precious Chong and Jared Cohn. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Goodbye for now.
1: I just like to have a lot of sex.